Harbert, uh, hi. Hello, you're, Serge. You're both a focuser and a Quaker. And over the years, you've paid a lot of attention to the similarities and differences. Yes. Would you like me to uh, start? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to start by um, talking about an early connection between focusing and Quaker practice on the part of uh, Gene Gendlin. As a young man, he uh, actually attended Quaker meeting in uh, Pendle Hill, which is a Quaker re uh, retreat center in Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia. And reflecting back, this is well after he developed focusing, he said, focusing arises from a deep tradition that Quakers preserve for the world. So again, focusing arises from within a deep tradition that Quaker, Quakers preserve for the world. So I think, uh, in fact, I'm convinced that Jenlin understood that a key part of Quaker practice was actually uh, finding, speaking, and acting from a felt sense. So this has led me to, uh, to look more closely at, at the connection between the two practices. Um, a dozen or so years ago, I was uh, engaged in what we call Quaker meditation. And the question I was wrestling with was, well, what is my role in Quakers? Uh, I was troubled uh, not having a clear sense of what I could or what I could do. And uh, so in meditation, uh, as I went inside and asked that question, what came to me was a, a visual image of a, of, a, of a grassy area. And on it was, a, was an old, looked like parchment map. And people were gathered around. I took them to be Quakers and they were pointing at the map. And, and then the words came to me, uh, old into new. Uh, and that, with that, I felt a, a felt shift, uh, relaxed, and I, I had the, the idea of what my role might be, and that was to actually map uh, Quaker language, which is about 370 years old, into Genlin's language, which we'll say is 20 or 25 years old. Doing that mapping the languages lets me speak about Quaker practice in a modern experiential way. And also the reverse case is true. Um, mapping Genlin into Quaker language uh, lets me extend and uh, apply Genlin's philosophical concepts to uh, group settings, which is the focus of Quaker practice. Um, so, uh, I had the answer to my question and I've been working with it, uh, ever since. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. But so it's interesting to see. It is a question itself, the answer to the question, and then we're going to get more into the meat of it as we go on with this discussion. Mm -hmm. But there's also um, that you ask the question, and the way of asking the question was uh, the form of a meditation, which is um, um, an allowing of making space for things to come up. Um, so um, there is um, something in it that is about the value of that kind of listening. True. Um, it's interesting, the, the Quaker expression for that experience and process is called a leading. A lead-in? Leading. Uh, which is, I think, more expressive of the unfolding of the felt sense as it as it comes about over time. Uh, these are often quite strong experiences, and it takes time and effort to work out. So uh, again, the the Quaker expression "leading," which is a key uh, expression for Quakers. Um, uh, sort of captures that sense. That the, the entry point into the process at which it starts unfolding. Exactly. And which continues to unfold. Uh, again, in Jenlin's terms, you go back to it. It's like going back to a, a spring or a, a refreshing sense of, uh, of, uh, of life itself. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, that, what came up for you is mapping the old into the new and actually also, and vice versa. So yes. to, to see the similarities and differences in yes. the two approaches. So I'd, I'd like to move on to the similarities. Um, mm -hmm. I called it uh, Quaker meditation, which is actually quite new. Uh, early Quakers and for long periods of time didn't write down what they what they were doing in meeting when they rose to speak or when they when they acted and um, so it was only recently actually about 20 years ago that a, a UK Quaker Rex Ambler had his own spiritual crisis and was working on a book on on an anthology of the writings of George Fox, an early Quaker. And uh, he worked out or reconstructed what he called a, a, a Quaker meditation. This is a four-step process, and I'll just give you the four steps. And This is the meditation that I used. It's called Mind the Light is the first step, and that's the light within. So that's an inward turning. Open your heart to the truth, wait in the light, and then submit to the truth. So when Ambler did that, he found he could get to this space that we get to in focusing and was able to resolve his spiritual crisis. What's interesting is um, that he uh, talked to a psychologist friend and, and told him or her 
uh, about what he had found, and she said, that sounds like a lot like focusing. Hmm. So we've come full circle. Am Ambler got a copy of Jen Lin's focusing book and then um, found he could get to the same place using the, you know, the classical six-step focusing. So now we have the commonality of, uh, of a four-step Quaker meditation, which is actually done as a group meditation. Uh, it takes about 40 minutes. The steps are read aloud and in common, and then people journal and share uh, at the end of the meditation what they choose to share with the others in, in the group. But Jenlin uh, uh, calls the underlying process holding and letting. You, you hold a situation and let a felt sense form, and that's a single process. Um, so what that tells me is that the words we actually use, the, the word sequences we use to get to that space can vary as, as the Quaker sequence is quite different word-wise than, than, uh, than typical focusing. Um, mind the light means turn inwards to the light within. That's short for the older expression of Christ within. Open your heart to the truth. Wait in the light. Hold and let. And submit to the truth. So for Quakers, what comes is not the felt sense, as Jenlin's term, but rather the truth. Mm -hmm. The truth of what their life is and what it might be. And, uh, and so it's interesting because as somebody who has traveled through both journeys you find that the experience is similar. So in that sense, it may also shed some light from the Quaker perspective into what the focusing experience is. In the Quaker tradition, um, you are experiencing it as the truth. And so maybe it sheds some light on the felt sense as something that we experience as true because it feels so right. Exactly. Um... It's a spiritual truth that we're troubled by the current modern usage of truth. We tend to think of scientific truth, but uh, yes, it's the truth of our lives as, it, as they are now and, uh, and holds open the possibility of as, as to how we might change or what might come. The, again, the Quaker expression is uh, opening the, mm -hmm. the truth uh, uh, leads you to uh, to an opening uh, or more broadly an opening of a way forward and again I think that fits well with uh, Jenlin's concept of um, of life carrying forward as as the underlying process that he talks about yeah yeah, yeah. so that that sense of opening to the process as opposed to blocking it Exactly, or getting, or, or being stuck and remaining yes. stuck. <laughs> uh, I think I'd like, to, with that established, I think I'd like to move on to saying a little bit 
about uh, what's different uh, uh, about the Quaker practice and and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, focusing. Um, I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with Quaker practice, so I thought I might describe it briefly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It arose about 370 years ago in Northwest England, and um, Quakers called them the religious society of friends or friends of the truth. And they they meet then and now uh, in what's called a silent meeting for an hour on, on Sunday, usually in the morning. And uh, a typical Quaker meeting, uh, they meet in a circle, might be 20 to 40 people uh, in the meeting. Um, If the space is small, it would be two or three concentric circles. Uh, The meeting process is deceptively simple. Uh, Four or five people will come in before the start of meeting and space themselves around the circle and, and enter into, um, into a welcoming silence. Uh, the members will come in and at the start of the meeting, it will take about 10 or 15 minutes uh, before there's um, a deepening silence. This process is called centering down. And then at that point, uh, or shortly thereafter, someone may rise to uh, to speak uh, of a concern or an issue that they've been working with or troubled by. And um, the advice for speaking is to uh, allow silence before speaking and after speaking, and to speak from a leading. So translated into the barest of terms, that means to try and speak from a felt sense. And this is what I think Jamlin picked up on. Uh, Others may rise to speak again after an intervening intervening silence. A theme may develop or people may express uh, different concerns. And then uh, at the end of the meeting, uh, the clerk of the meeting, at the end of the hour, we'll, uh, we'll shake hands with uh, the person next to him or her and uh, then may ask uh, visitors to announce themselves. There may be a few meeting announcements and then she or he will rise and that signals the end of the meeting called the rise of the meeting. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. want to just highlight something that I'm hearing from um, is that the meeting itself um, is focused on speaking from the felt sense as opposed to a more standard discussion or other practice. And in order to ensure that this happens, there is a big amount of time that's devoted to silence so that that creates the pause from which it is possible to access that felt sense. Precisely. Um, So that silence acts as a bridge rather than a barrier. Uh, So it it can actually facilitate um, the uh, 
the, the the speaking, especially if the speaking begins to resonate with other members and can uh, lead them to uh, to examine the same issue or concern that they might have. The advice is to speak to the whole of the meeting rather than to individual members. So the focus is to try and speak from a leading that 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 applies to all or can apply to to all the members or the meeting as a whole. Yeah, and so you, you used the phrase, the, the silence act as a bridge rather than a barrier. And so that sense of um, uh, in ordinary conversation, we tend to quickly respond and uh, not having it might feel like a barrier, but actually in this case, uh, it allows for everybody to process what's been happening and to put some of themselves uh, so that there is um, uh, more um, obtained that way than if we were just following a quick um, statement response and yeah. so on. Actually, the, the Quakers have a phrase for that, for that uh, quick off the top talk, and they, they call them popcorn meetings. Popcorn meetings, yeah. Just pop, 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 and <laughs> that's not the idea. Right, right. So I, I want to go back, um, back through the meeting because, I, as I say, it's deceptively simple. Um, but from an experience standpoint, um, the experience is, and this is a difference from focusing, not only do you have a, felt, a feeling sense, let's say, of the other members in the meeting, but you have a feeling sense of the meeting as a whole. And in the meeting itself, you, you experience the, this sense of the meeting as sort of as a flow, particularly when the speaking resonates among members or, 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 or touches them deeply. So um, I, I was trying to think of an analogy to uh, when we talked today and what came to me is, is listening to, to music, listening to a symphony. You can hear the symphony and you listen to the symphony as a whole, but you can, you can also focus your attention on individual instruments or individual players. Um, but the sense of the meeting, which is the, the Quaker phrase, is, is for that flow of the whole of the meeting. And uh, often during meeting, you can um, sense when the, the flow is checked. Someone says, rises to speak, and it doesn't quite fit, doesn't resonate. Or quite often at the, towards the end of the meeting, people flag and their ability to listen um, lessons. And you can even see someone surreptitiously glance at their watch to see if the, <laughs> if the meeting's about to end. So uh, the experience is of, uh, of check and flow, of flow and check. And uh, sort of the... Um, The high point 
which is not common at all, is when uh, the median speaking rises to an occasion where um, the whole of the meeting uh, experiences a felt sense and a felt shift forward. Uh, mm -hmm. This is called a gathered meeting. It's it's rare, but when it happens, it's uh, it's indelible. It's uh, an experience that uh, is retained uh, both within the members and in the meeting itself. Yeah, yeah. So that sense of everybody and the the, the whole meeting um, experiencing a felt shift. Exactly, and this is called a gathered meeting. And for Quakers, this. This is where the term comes from. Uh, when Quakers get together, they call it a gathering, implying that uh, that that, uh, that 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 the meeting may uh, always has the possibility of of of, uh, of experiencing a, a gathered meeting. Mm -hmm. So. So, you know, from this, um, um, there is a um, sense of the value of what happens when people get together and create the setting for getting in touch with the truth in Quaker terms or the felt sense in focusing terms. Um, and it's not just about each individual getting to that place, but the ultimate is when there is a collective sense of getting to that place in yes, the third meeting. Um, I'm not sure about the word collective. Um, or a group experience. I, I would say group experience. Yeah. And uh, so it, what it brings up is um, the sense that the, the spirituality um, is very related to that experience of getting individually to the felt sense and possibly getting to that group experience of a collective a felt shift that your people experience as a group. Again, that that's well said. I think that's yeah, yeah, a good summary. And so the the reason I'm going there is because that um, traditionally we think about um, religious activity as being in the presence of God, mm. and in this case, uh, the sense that that experience is a spiritual experience and might be perceived as the presence of God. And there's a link uh, between the experience of the Quaker and the experience of focusers who might not have a spiritual motivation or a seeking God, you know, per se, but that there would be a similar experience under both settings. True. Yes. Uh that reflects my own view that um, that um, speaking from a Quaker standpoint, any group could gather or can gather, and that would in, that would include a group of two and in focusing. <laughs> so. 
Yes. <laughs> and, and, and conversely, that the group of two in focusing uh, is also engaged. Uh, we could put the meaning to it as it being a spiritual practice and uh, in connecting with something uh, larger than simply having um, a moment of connecting to some inner truth. Yes. Yes. I think um, I'd like to uh, to take up another um, aspect of this uh, felt sense mm -hmm. of the meeting, and this this occurs in uh, the Quaker um, uh, business meeting. This this will probably is a more a more similar setting to to you know uh, group meetings that many of us have experienced uh, once a month uh, the uh, the meeting gets gathers to uh, to have a business meeting they discuss budgets and committee reports and uh, and uh, make any decisions involved uh, for the meeting itself. Um, so it's called the, in, in the U.S. it's called the, the meeting for worship with the attention to business. Hmm. I, th I think the distinction is important because the, the form of the meeting is the same, uh, although there's no set time limit. So again, four or five people will come in early, uh, establish uh, a welcoming silence, and uh, then the the members will assemble and uh, again get into a deeper silence. It's called centering down, um, and then the 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 meeting for business will start. The difference is it's led by the clerk of the meeting, which is an elected position, and uh, the uh, skill of the clerk, excuse me, is quite central to. Uh, to, to the to the business meeting, he or she will set the agenda, and uh, and uh, lead the the meeting through through the agenda. Um, the key skill of the clerk uh, is to uh, when a decision or an issue is in the offing that uh, that the meeting needs to decide is to call is to read the sense of the meeting. That is to get a sense of where the members stand, where the meeting is trending on, a, on an issue, and then to uh, try and lead that process forward. Um, in practice, that, that means uh, trying to draw out the members um, as they express how they feel about a particular issue. Uh, to sort of collect the phrases and words that members uh, speak, and then uh, to try and develop uh, what, what's called a trial minute, which which is just an uh, uh, an expression of um, of uh, the uh, the uh, the meaning that comes forward from different members speaking. Uh, if 
if the the issue is trending in in a in, in a direction that will lead to a decision, um, then uh, then the clerk uh, has uh, has captured the the meaning of uh, of what uh, what the members have expressed, and uh, then uh, usually if if you get the meaning right, the uh, the actual decision will f uh, fall out of that. Um, I, in terms of Jenlin, I I think um, the key is he he calls this process explication. It's what we uh, when we have a felt sense to try and get uh, the meaning of our our situation. This. Um, this is developing the uh, sort of our in, implicit understanding of, of the situation. In, in Quaker practice, this is actually a group expli explication pro process so that uh, by bits and pieces, uh, uh, the group forms a, a, sh a shared meaning of, of the situation at hand. And uh, often uh, then the decision follows if, if, if the group um, shares a meeting or, or is united in, in a meeting, uh, meaning of the, of the situation, then, uh, then normally the, the decision falls out. So you have a, a, a decision by the sense of the meeting. Um, uh, so the... Go ahead. That person, that elected person, has a role in um, capturing the sense of where people are. And it's called the sense of the meeting. Yes. And by articulating it, then there is possibly a resonance where people feel, yeah, that's it. And then the decision then might be reached. Exactly. It sort of falls out. If, if you get the meaning right, uh, if you're united in your your understanding of the situation, then normally the decision falls out fairly readily. Um, and uh, again, I think you focused on one of the key uh, keys to that process is the skill of the clerk in, ter in terms of reading uh, the sense of the meeting, that is the, the members in, in the meeting as a whole. Um, that's not always an easy or easy process. Uh, it, in my book, I talk about um, uh, one meeting that, um, that was held. Uh, the American Friends Service Committee is a is a volunteer service arm of, of Quakers. And uh, in 1948, uh, they had done, they had done um, refugee work in, in Europe. And uh, after the Palestinian-Israeli war in 1947, they were approached by the United Nations to, uh, to uh, help feed and, uh, and house the uh, refugees in Gaza. There were about... 300, uh, three quarters of a million refugees in Gaza. 
so the, the UN had asked the AFSC, the American Friends Service Committee, to look after those re refugees. So at, at the committee meeting, uh, to discuss that offer, um, the, uh, they went around the table and uh, each individual in turn said they thought it was an, uh, an, an something needed, but it was well beyond the capability of the, of the service committee. Um, after uh, after that round, the uh, the clerk of the meeting asked for uh, uh, ten minutes of silence and reflection. Um, at the end of that time, they went around again, and then each person in turn said, "Yes, that's something they ought to do, and wanted to do, and agreed to do." Um, so what I'm what the clerk sensed was despite the the first go around that there was an underlying unity and, and commitment to uh, to undertake the project and so they did so so the skill is not only in reading the sense of the meeting but in in terms of trying to actually read or sense what's behind the words because um, often there's a deeper uh, yeah 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 so so in um, in ordinary life what we tend to do is argue and um, uh, bring arguments pros and cons and in that case it's about making the space exactly yeah and this this pe people sometimes confuse consensus with sense of the meeting, but Quakers, I think, are quick to point out that, that uh, a sense of the meeting, a, a decision by the sense, by the sense of the group, is is a step beyond. Yeah. Um, in consensus, um, they're often just niggling differences that you give up, um, and those those tend to break down over time. Whereas um, a, dis a decision by the sense of the meeting um, tends to stick. Uh, it's being in contact with the larger factor, the larger dynamic, something that's going to have more power to uh, go beyond the little differences. Yes. It has the power to stick and, People th then, you know, if it calls for action, then people will commit to actually seeing it through. Yes. So what you're describing is that, um, you know, in that case, uh, there was that 10-minute moment, you know, for people exactly. to reconsider. But um, in the first phase, when people talk, uh, is there a silence between each person talking, as in a regular Quaker meeting? Yes. Um, the advice is the same to uh, allow um, allow silence before speaking, allow silence afterwards uh, to speak from a leading and uh, and speak to the uh, speak to the whole of the meeting mm -hmm. um, 
I think that's one of the key differences. People look at, outside people have looked at Quaker practice, and again, it seems uh, deceptively simple. Oh, we'll, we just make decisions by sense of the group. But uh, that's often without the discipline of, of what you describe, which is the the uh, the pausing in in the silence uh, before and after. So I would add that uh, you know. So there is, of course, that that pause. There is that skill um, to uh, to be able to orient that. But I think there is also the fact that. Uh, this is deeply ingrained in the group culture because it's also part of the spiritual practice and of the weekly practice. So it's not something that people put on just for a sensitive meeting, but it's a way of life and a way of being together in a group. Again, well, well said. Um, um, yes, and that's not easily easily replicated um, to develop the the trust and uh, sort of the d deep listening that uh, that goes into the environment that, that allows that uh, uh, ability or the the prospect of uh, of a felt sense forming yeah yeah so that seems like might be a good place to end. I want to just check if you feel like you want to add something else. Yeah, I, uh, thank you for that. Uh, that that was a that is a good ending point for me. Um, but what I wanted to say is, what we've talked about today is only only one of the two group settings that uh, that I have worked out. Uh, the second one is. Uh, actually takes place is a group setting in, in U.S. prisons. Um, in the 1970s, Quakers were approached in New York by inmates at, at Greenhaven Prison uh, to put, put together a, a program or a project to uh, reduce violence in U.S. prisons. And they did that with something they called uh, an alternatives to violence project. So in this case, what the Quakers developed with the inmates was a, a, a gathering, you could call it a gathering practice adapted to, um, to the prison setting, to working with inmates. So the same, Quakers were, with the inmates were able to create an environment, again, where I felt sense can form and uh, change and transformation can take place. And this is without uh, the religious language, uh, but it's possible um, as the AVP shows um, to, to develop these uh, skills, listening skills and trust uh, that allows the, the process to go forward. Mm -hmm. So it's not in any sense dependent uh, solely on Quakers or Quaker practice. Yeah. This, this is now a, a voluntary, a voluntary uh, uh, group 
active in the U.S. and abroad in prisons, and uh, it's about 40 years old. So, uh, uh, again, I think I would end by saying that uh, it's possible for any any group to to gather. So, yes. All right. Thanks, Harbert. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.